This is Paul Nobles from Eat, Perform, and I am sitting here with April Blackford. April, if you want to say uh, hello to everyone, that would be awesome. Hello, everyone. So someone was saying, you know, you're live, right? Uh, before we start these podcasts, each Monday, we tend to share them so more people within our groups can see them and see what we're talking about on a daily basis. So the first minute or two, it does get a little awkward as we do kind of the accounting of how all this happens. And so one of the things that I wanted to talk about today and then kind of get into a little bit more um, of, of kind of some weather stuff and, 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 and things that you know, April and I were talking about offline. Um, first, let me say that I did a podcast with Lift Heavy Run Long. Um, I think it was their episode 31. A uh, lot of fun, good folks. Uh, you know, we got to talk about a lot of things. You know, if you're not familiar with Eat to Perform, it'll give you the opportunity to sort of catch up. Um, if you are familiar with Eat to Perform, like the last 45 minutes or so really kind of goes into um, me, entrepreneurship, you know, all the different things that have sort of made up my life. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun to do because a lot of the times I end up talking about, you know, Eat to Perform and, and that's awesome. But it's also nice to be able to talk about, you know, how, you know, my... Uh, how all this came about, you know, where I started, you know, when I started doing businesses and, and stuff like that. So uh, someone's asking about new hairstyle. This actually isn't a new hairstyle. This is the hairstyle that I typically go with um, pretty often, but, uh, you know, it just grows back real fast, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, it, it tends to be a little bit, bit tighter. Um, I think I got it cut on on Monday, and I try to go low as so low as I can, so I don't have to maintain it. Uh, it's kind of funny though, because it's really cold here in Minnesota. I was just talking about this with April. Uh, it was 25 below yesterday, and you you if you're not familiar with that, and I, I'm originally from New Orleans, so so I, I had no idea that people actually function in this kind of weather. You know, we went to the mall. I mean, it was 10 below coming back from the mall. Um, there was tons of people out too, right? They had a Vikings game. Everybody, everybody was out doing their thing. My daughter actually was sledding uh, with her friend for almost an hour. So she was outside. You know, the, the weather was probably 10 to 15 below at that point. But uh, yeah, you just wrap up and, and make sure you're safe, you know, but, uh, it, it's pretty crazy. You know, it does, it does feel crazy, you know, and you, as a parent, you're always kind of, you know, um, a little cautious with your children and stuff. And they tend to not be near as cautious to give you an example. Um, the kids in high school, I'd say, if there's 2,000 kids in high school today, this is going to blow you away. 400 of them wore shorts today. I <laughs> shit you not. Ridiculous. I was just getting ready to ask you how many layers do you have to wear to to stay alive out there? Um, 
Well, typically you don't want to just do gloves. You want to do a base layer of gloves and then kind of bigger gloves outside of them. So a lot of times you'll see people wearing choppers or whatever. Um, you can go with like, uh, you know, fleece lined, whatever. Uh, the only problem is, is that eventually those start to wear down a little bit. So it's better to have kind of the layers. Typically I have a t-shirt, a long shirt, and then um, we Sarah jokes with me um in the other podcast that i wear either this red shirt or the blue shirt that is similar to this i pretty much wear them alternatively every single day so so i typically have a t-shirt underneath long shirt and then um some kind of flannel usually have some type of compression pants on um i do have man uggs uh, my man Uggs, I will wear those uh, around the neighborhood, walking the dog. If it's really cold, I will throw on like some, some real thick smart wool hiking uh, socks and then Sorrells, which have kind of a sock um, inside them. But yeah, you know, like just walking the dog is, boy... You know, it's probably a 45-minute process each time because you got to put the little booties on the dog. You know, she's she's layered up, right? So she's got like a little fleece coat, and then she has kind of an outer coat. Um, I was I was actually just getting ready to ask that because my um my miniature Dotson, my wiener dog, she gets cold very easy, so we have to put her in layers for her walks. But the schnauzer, he's fine. He he's got he's got a good layer of body fat on him, so he he's good to go. He doesn't need a coat. Yeah, no. Kira's typically fine if it's probably ten to twenty degrees outside, as long as there isn't snow and ice on the ground. And then what ends up happening is her beans get cold, and uh, um, she just starts to kind of limp, and she hates the booties i mean just can't stand the booties more than anything um but uh yeah i mean to give you an example of how much she hates the snow booties um she is a long torso dog like can your doxing doxing go upstairs yes okay mm -hmm. so she is scared shitless to go up and down stairs right because she has tiny little legs. She's she's built a little bit like a dachshund. Um, so that's interesting to me that your dog can go up and down stairs. Um, we, we bring her up and down mostly. And, um, you know, we, we kind of trap her. There's like, you know, our stairs come down. And then there's like four to five steps that bring you all the way down. And so like the landing, we'll put her on the landing. Cause she's scared to death to go up and she's scared to go to down. And so we can put her stuff on. Right. So to give you an example, how much she hates the booties, she will, you know, kind of contemplate running upstairs. I mean, it's not like she can't run upstairs. It's just, she runs up so fast cause she's so scared of it. You know? Um, and we were always told that that was based on, um, her torso length and, and legs and size, but you know, in, in that same 
token, like you said, you know, you've got a dachshund and the dachshund figures out a way to get up and down the stairs. So I, I think it's just a matter of like the previous owners um, just allowed it for a long time. And, and uh, you know, for the most part, it kind of stuck and we kind of got yeah. Mine, she'll actually, she was a little leery initially, um, but she'll actually, she'll run up down the stairs now, which is, it's, it's quite funny to watch. Just like when she sits down, she, because her torso is so long that she actually has to kind of sit with her feet out to, so she has to sit to the side. So she doesn't sit like on her back legs. She just kind of sits, you know, I, I call it the, the timeless artist seduction, the George Costanza pose. Um, okay. <laughs> where she's kind of sitting with her feet out to the side. She has to do that. And all of the, most of the clothes that she wears um, looks like she's wearing a half shirt um, because her torso is so long. <laughs> it makes sense. So, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about is sort of, it's, it's on the top of my mind related to the holidays and, and eating for the holidays. I'm, I'm one of the things that I'm so thrilled about is that our last big celebration um, before Christmas is over, you know, um, and, you know, my goal this whole time, I think after yesterday's celebration, you know, I was 176.1 and my goal was to get out of Christmas under 175. So as long as I don't have a big blowout um, Christmas uh, night or Christmas Eve, that's when my family celebrates, I should be good. Um, but Brad and I were having a conversation. He's actually going to make a video on this topic. But it's the idea of burning calories to burn fat that I think sort of misses the point of why you exercise and why it's important to exercise. So to give you an example, going into yesterday, you know, um, we, as a family, we go to the Mall of America and then we branch out and buy gifts for each other. It's just kind of a fun thing. And then we go eat at this uh, Italian restaurant in the mall. And we've been doing that for probably, I'd say, five to six years. So it's kind of become a, kind of, kind of become a habit. And uh, you know, they have the baked spaghetti, and you know, like uh, a lot of stuff that I typically am not going to eat on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, so anytime you're eating something from a restaurant, you know, you can assume that there's all manner of things that make it tasty. And so that's going to be not just carbs, not just fats, but carbs, fats, and everything. Right. Um, and, uh, some of the, some of the strategies that, that I took, you know, the baked spaghetti, I, I asked them if, if they could give me a half order. Right. Um, I mean, just eating the whole order, you just feel like, sick <laughs> you know it's just so rich um especially if you don't eat um that amount of food that often you know it can it can make you uncomfortable but throughout the day um my you know we we didn't go to crossfit it wasn't a weightlifting day um so my wife and i decided that 
we would do calisthenics around the the um, you know the experience at the mall. And obviously at the mall, I think when I went to the mall, my steps were something like thirty five hundred to four thousand, and then you know I ended up with fourteen thousand five hundred for the day. I actually go to the mall fairly often to walk. You know, I'm I'm like one of those old people. You know, um, but um, but you know, there's just not a, a ton of places now. I have been walking outside more than I have previous in previous winters, and just the act of kind of walking on the snow and and walking through the snow. I think. Uh, sorry, there's just people saying mean things, and you know, you just want to like be done with that. Um, but, um, my point being is that when you walk outside and you're normally walking and there's not snow on the ground and there's not ice, you're not, you know, it's much easier, right? You're using a lot more muscles. And when we were walking in five to six inches of snow, um, just the amount of calorie burn you know, and really sort of the adaptation to that is just so much different. And so when you look at your Fitbit, you know, your Fitbit's going to say, um, you know, 11,500 or whatever it is, but it's not taking into account how hard those steps were, right? And then if you're eating an adequate amount of food, that gives your body the opportunity to actually use those nutrients and potentially build, um, or adapt to the stimulus that you're putting in front of it. So if your walk is harder than your normal walk would be and you ate an adequate amount of food, you could have potentially built some lean mass in that process. But more importantly, your muscles will load with those carbohydrates, those, you know, a lot of that stuff that you might not, not normally eat or if you're eating in a little bit of an excess intentionally, now all of a sudden, you're you're filling your muscles up so you can actually do great things with them right and that's ultimately how adaptation happens that's probably the simplistic the overly simplistic way to talk about it um but uh so dan is saying um that i i own a rower do you know my rule with the rower april have i talked about this yeah so basically with the rower that I have in my house, I always have an option. So I'm going to do some type of cardio on that day. So I say, well, okay, I could do the rower or I could throw on a coat and go for a walk. And so um, my rower has been very underused um, this wintertime, but that means that I've been getting in a lot of walking. You know, um, there was probably, I'd say a month you know, where I was really started trying to figure out what um, what I was going to do to kind of keep up the volume that I had had over the summer. And uh, I've been able to stick with the walking pretty good, not not to the level of twenty to 25,000. Like I said, when you're walking on ice and snow, it's a little bit harder, so you can't get in as many steps. But in some ways, you know, you can just feel that the burn is more, you know. Um, you're just hungrier, you need to eat more. Um, and so, you know, um, it, it's been interesting 
from that perspective. But I think probably most importantly is the idea of actually using um, the foods that you're eating during the holidays and using them as a way of kind of working towards work capacity and making sure you know you're getting I mean when people talk about sodium you know in general you want to kind of keep your sodium relatively low but during the holidays you're going to be eating high sodium foods and what I would suggest to you is that if you can do some level of of calisthenics or, or weight training around that time those foods will load better and more efficiently and you won't see the scale fluctuations and you won't be kind of this slave to burning calories, right? You're actually using those calories to get better at exercise. Um, any thoughts on that? I mean, I know... Um, the story that you actually told about walking through the snow versus the regular steps, I actually had a um, lady on a uh, coaching call another day. We were chatting about that same thing in regards to the Fitbit and how... You know, she had one day where she was outside doing some some stuff outside and was walking through the snow. And literally, she said, you know, it was for like an hour and she just felt extremely exhausted compared to another day where it wasn't snowing. And she got like, you know, 20,000 steps and it said she burned, you know, ton more calories. You know, it just doesn't pick up things like that. You know, and sometimes you kind of need to factor in you know, the, the difficulty of some things versus others and not just go off the raw black and white data, you know, that's sitting in front of you. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like one of the things that, that I heard recently and, and someone was talking about as you get older, you find yourself using handrails more, you find yourself, you know, pushing off more. And, you know, I probably heard that four to six months ago. And since then, I try to do you know, get out of chairs without using my hands. Um, you know, all the various things when you're getting out of a car, you know, just keeping to make sure that you're conscious of the fact that you're using your primary movers, you know, the way that they're supposed to be. Because if you use your hands to get up from a chair, you know, you're not allowing your legs to stay engaged or your glutes to stay engaged, you know. And, um it might not seem to matter right now, but it, it definitely matters as you age, you know. Um, I mean, there was a local celebrity here who broke his hip. And whenever I hear of somebody 90 years old breaking her hip, my, my mother-in-law, you know, when she broke her hip, it was like, you know, when she, she got the surgery and, you know, it was still a countdown, right? Um, you you got to make sure that those little stabilizer muscles are really strong. And that's what happens when you're walking on unstable ground, right? Is, you know, you're going to be slipping occasionally. And can you stay up? You know, can you balance? You know, all those things are, are really important. We actually have some of like the balance stuff in our house. I don't use it near as much, but we have it kind of laid out um, in, uh, you know, in like our living room and stuff like that. And my kids are always on it and Vicky and I are always on it, you know, whenever we think of it. 
Um, you know, I have this, I have this weird um, OCD. You ever have like this OCD? Um, I would call it behavior where, say, like you're walking on the sidewalk and you never step on the cracks or you know whatever. I have this weird OCD behavior of every time I climb stairs, whether it be in my house, there's stairs at the gym, there's you know even like at a, a shopping center, I always climb them two stairs at a time. I always do. I don't know why I always climb two stairs at a time. Um, you know, it just kind of makes it a little harder, but I always do that. Yeah, I used to do that more. Um, I have to say, I mean, yesterday we did 50 bodyweight squats um, and then 50 lunges. And then we did um, four. Um, so we, we did two sets of the bodyweight squats and four two sets of the lunges and then when we came home we just did 50 strict push-ups um i i felt it you know in in my glutes um one thing that i was trying to do is try not to rest and so um and then as i got closer to the end so when i would get to about 35 on the air squats i would speed up because i knew that i couldn't keep that speed throughout the whole 50 um, and and definitely you start to get to that place where you're getting a little bit tired when you're really going fast but the muscle engagement is also a lot faster and so you know I wouldn't say I'm sore but I definitely say I feel it which is that you know I think you know there's a lot of people I think there's a lot of people that are sore that don't realize that they're under eating you know, and how much under eating matters in that scenario. Um, then, of course, there's the you're not exercising enough to not be sore. So if you're only exercising sporadically, you're going to, um, you know, have kind of that uncomfortable, you know, buildup of, of uh, delayed onset muscle soreness. Um, but then... You know, there's the other argument too. Like when I when I don't feel sore on occasion, I'm not sure that I feel like I accomplished all that much. I mean, do you still get sore? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is your goal to get sore? I mean, I know sometimes no. from my from some of my workouts it is. Um, I would say my goal is not to get sore. Um, but I do find that whenever I change up movements or if I change up rep scheme or anything, then I will get sore. Um, I do think I, t I talk to a lot of people who feel like they associate their workouts with if they're not super, super sore, then they're not working out hard enough, um, which I totally disagree with because, you know, you shouldn't. Because like what you were saying a second ago, you know, if you're eating an adequate amount, you're recovering and you know, you're, you're using the different stimulus, you know, some soreness is expected, but you shouldn't be like crippling, like walking. <laughs> you should, you because, know, because you can't you work be out like that. After you work yeah. Out, you because know? you can't work out. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're constantly pushing yourself to the end, you're essentially compromising how much you can work out, you know, so you want to sort yeah. of build up that work capacity without destroying yourself. Um, Someone's asking if if we like the ketogenic diet. Um, there's elements of what we do that are relatively low carb, but as a general rule, we do not um, recommend kind of those extremes. You know, they, we just don't feel like they're necessary. 
right? Um, we think that, you know, you know, if you look at the way that each form is sort of structured, you know, you have your days where you're kind of eating at a surplus, and then you have your deficit days, and at the end of the at the end of the road, you ultimately um, end up with less fat, and and in some cases you're going to weigh less. Now, ketogenic diets, what you'll often see, you know, and I will often talk about is carbohydrates have hydrate in the second part of the name. And so um, when you do something like the ketogenic diet, a lot of times you're pulling the water out of your body, but you're not necessarily addressing fat loss, right? Um, most of that's going to come down to are you at a caloric surplus or are you at a, a caloric deficit? And so uh, some level of carb cycling I think is better for almost everybody, but also allows for more consistent and more sustainable results. See, so someone else is asking if you continue to do exercise, you get old, but you will be able to do a lot of stuff. I've seen the 80 year old. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm hoping to uh, to be exercising my whole life, but my goal isn't to deadlift 500 pounds when I'm 80, right? Now, if that ends up happening, awesome, you know. Um, with all the organ regeneration that we see on 60 Minutes all the time, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll be possible. But um, I think aging where you're active um, without extremes uh, is helpful. I think, you know, you can look at a lot of people and say, you know, if there's any one thing that is anti-aging, it is, you know, exercise, you know, um, making sure that you're you know doing some resistance training that allows those stabilizer muscles you know when you see older people that aren't exercising the things that cause them the real troubles you know, are breaking limbs breaking hips you know these kinds of things knee replacement you know those are the things that you know can can um, I would say they become bigger issues when a, a person is deconditioned, right? To go from like zero to recovering from a knee replacement is really super hard. But if you're already active and then you have your knee replaced, then the the path to get to you know recovery is a lot easier. So it sort of depends on where you are on the athletic spectrum. Um, and when I say no, athletic I spectrum, I just mean I just mean fit. I don't mean you know like you know, LeBron James or anything. <laughs> Lebanon James. Um, <laughs> I, I also think that just, you know, being more physically active in general can prevent those types of injuries, you know, because a lot of times, you know, uh, a lot of times is, you know, like the hips and knees and, you know, nine out of 10 times it's, you know, you fall or, you know, it's, you know, just, just overuse in, in certain areas. And I do think just being more physically active and being more fit overall, you know, and strengthening up, you know, the, the muscles and, you know, the legs and, you know, and all that stuff, you know, can prevent the, the injuries. Yeah. So, so a guy asked me yesterday, he said he was 52, he's Olympic lifting. And what do I think about muscle, um, or, or joint pain? And um, I kind of gave him the same answer I'm giving here that joint pain 
is often you're not allowing those joints to recover. And so I'm 48, you know, he was 52. And I said, when I first started, you know, I was 39 years old, um, you know, went from kind of like being not active at all to being very active within a course of um, just a couple of years. And my safe space, the place that I am right now, you know, is involving a, a lot of walking, you know, like yesterday, I mentioned not a, not a weightlifting day, but I still will do some calisthenics on that day to stay active. Um, but I don't see joint pain in that scenario. But if I was going and, you know, working towards a one rep max three days a week and, and really pushing that, you know, when I was doing CrossFit six days a week, there was always something that, uh, you know, hurt or was under recovered. And now that, um, I'm, I'm much closer to say two times a week with some weight training and some endurance, um, I'm just recovered better, right? And so that's made a big difference. So Amanda's saying she had an awful knee injury in summer 2015 because she'd been crossfitting. My recovery went so much better. So what she's saying is because she was crossfitting, um, she recovered a lot better from her recent knee injury. Uh, that actually mirrors my experience. I was in a um, pretty bad motorcycle accident and uh, previous to that motorcycle accident, I had just started to get fit. Um, and my recovery from what was a pretty bad you know, injury took a while. And then a year later, they did a follow-up surgery. And I was 100% within four weeks. Right. So the two surgeries, I mean, obviously the one was probably more acute. I was deconditioned as an athlete. Then, you know, I'd spent a whole year recovering, working on work capacity, all this other type of stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I learned more than anything was just moving and how moving makes a big difference. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that my PT told me was that if I could stretch my foot, you know, which was in pain both times, you know, I, I'd actually snap my ankle off um, in the motorcycle accident. And I mean, even to this day, you know, I still, you know, it's not comfortable stretching my right foot the way that it is my left foot. But, um, you know, just the increasing mobility in that foot was something that I learned and it sent the inflammation through your calf and, and obviously out, you know, distributed throughout your body and and it could be dealt with. But, but I did not know that, um, you know, and I, I think doctors are, are well-meaning in what they say and what they, what they do because they will say, hey, stay off your feet. So you're like, okay, doctors told me to stay off my feet, so I stay off my feet. But whatever you have as it relates to work capacity gets compromised at that point, you know? And so stay off your feet doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do, you know, upper body stuff. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't have a good 
push-up regimen or if you have access to a um, to a ski erg you know something like that can be pretty good but I think when you know my experience being around athletes in general is when they get hurt or when they are under recovered um, they're still moving you know they're still walking hiking rowing you know um, and and staying active in that process and that's probably the biggest differentiator between um, you know them and normal people and, and and you know to kind of bring it back to the original thought process you know I mean similar to the person asking about ketogenic dieting you know if you're always looking at calories as the problem then you're always going to be looking for a solution that is calorie based and frankly most people don't get there that way you know the the better path tends to be if you're inactive let's move you towards being active with having some understanding of what you're eating and how you're eating it and then you know kind of making some changes rather you know I think you know and I'm not averse to this I know April's past so I know she's not been averse to this too but as human beings we tend to want more extreme um, answers so the pain that we're in is over as quickly as possible right and the problem with that is is that it leaves most people broken and confused and so if you can kind of break it down and through some level of trial and error you know it really does make a big difference um, do I, think I, I think a lot of it is the you know having the mindset of the instant gratification of you know uh, you know I ate good today so I expect the scale to be down tomorrow yeah know, or yeah you know vice versa you know rather than continually putting in the work you know and seeing the the long term and, know, what, the, and what is good and what is good right so so if on Thursday you ate pizza and went out with the family and had a good time and the next day you had chicken and salad right and then the following day your weights that you know you and you're like wondering what's going on well you know brad's video talked about that you know where if you're constantly falling off the rails the answer is just to get back into the plan you know more often than not what we see is that if somebody has 3,500 to 4,000 calories on one day and then 1,000 calories on another day, you know, they don't see near as good a result as if they had just gone back to their plan and just eaten the way that it was sort of prescribed for them through the way that we do it at Eat to Perform, you know. You know, I've got a, it's, I've, I've actually kind of got a neat little, um, neat little story. I've got a, a lady who's in group coaching right now who she has she has mindset issues with kind of similar thing of sticking, following her plan to a T doing it, doing it well, but expecting the number on the scale to reflect that. But the number on the scale would determine her motivation of staying on her plan. So basically it's, you know, she's motivated right. when the number is like it's supposed to type thing. And it was actually, it was kind of backfiring a little bit and causing some issues so we decided that she was going to, she has her scale is set up through the Wi-Fi 
So she weighs herself every day, but she does not see it. Only I see it in her um, spreadsheet and in all her stuff, which she does not look at. And she just follows her plan. Yeah. Because she was, you know, of course, you know, following the plan, word. the scale would be up with the up and down fluctuations. She was just sabotaging herself. But now she just follows the plan, doesn't stress about the number, and guess what? It's moving down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going in the right direction. Well, and that's why but- you have a coach, right? I mean, you have a, you don't have a coach, you know, I mean, if you think of from the football standpoint, you know, the, the coach is giving you the plays, you know, they're, they're doing the game plan and all this other type of stuff, and then you decide to go the exact opposite way, you know, every third day because, you know, the, the you know, you're getting tackled each time. Well, maybe the goal of the coach was to set up something that would be bigger later on. And that's what I see most people struggling with, especially during the holidays, is that, you know, they have more alcohol, they have more food. And then what ends up happening is they eat low and that affects their workouts. They don't want to work out near as much because you ate, you know, 1100 calories as an example. You know, you go, well you know what, I don't really feel like working out today and I don't really need to because my calories are low. And then all of a sudden you see, well, the scale's not really moving, you know, and you'd have just been better off being on the plan. So someone's asking what I think about habits and are habits the best starter? And that's an interesting question because I think it's a matter of what habits are we talking about, you know? Um, I think if, if you're someone that's really struggling with, you know, uh, meal prep, you know, and, and having food available, I know right now, as I leave this call, um, I've got ground beef and rice in my refrigerator and I'm going to make a little kind of taco meal that I make, um, and if I didn't have that, okay, not only would I have to leave the house and frantically try to find food, but the that food, you know, I mean, you can go to Chipotle and it can say that the calories in a in a double chicken with rice is whatever, but depending on the people on the line, depends on how much chicken you get, how much rice you get, and all this other type of stuff. And so if you can kind of control those things um, and have those things, I think not just the the matter of the meal prep, but mentally how freeing it is to, you know, have uh, food ready, right? I think that's where most people fail. You know, when we look at people's, the way that people eat on a daily basis, we don't see people overeating very much because that's obviously something that we, we sort of work people through. So I think the habits thing, yes, habits is a good place to start. But if you're just working on habits and meal prep and you're still under eating or overeating or not exercising, right? Um, it's sort of like the what's the biggest priority and and the thing that that you know I always talk about is discipline equals freedom I stole that from from extreme ownership book by Rocco Rocco something or other um 
And, and the other is um, when you're in a chaotic situation, you have to prioritize, right? And I think most people's life is chaotic. And, and once again, I'll bring it back to the Chipotle, you know, situation. You know, when I have food ready, my life is less chaotic. And so I don't have to run out, get food real fast, come back, you know, um, and, and, you know, that gets me 20 to 30 minutes during the day. And that 20 to 30 minutes, I might be able to get in a little bit of a workout or go for a walk, you know, or get some more work done that takes some stuff off of my plate. So when we talk about habits, while yes, I agree habits are important, I think there's a lot of times where people go, okay, I'm going to fix my habits, I'm going to drink more water, and I'm going to eat mostly clean. It's like, okay, you've done all those things, and now you still have more fat than you would like. Now what do you do? Right? And that's what we do. That's what we help people do, right, is walk them through those priorities. So it's a good question, but I think it, it is is quite involved in what the real answer. And that's where, you know, uh, you know I've been talking about this a lot the last couple days. I, I'm seeing so many automated calculator, you know, low calorie type things. And I think a lot of people are going to see some success, you know, eating a little bit less than they have been over the last couple weeks and it'll give them sort of this false positive that wow you know um i was really eating undisciplined but what's their plan after that right i mean it's it kind of should stand a reason if you've been drinking more eating more things like this that eating less you know should be part of the equation but what happens after you've played that trump card? Now what do you do, right? And I don't think most people know the answer to that. And I know online calculators don't because in the hands of most people, um, they just stall. And we know that statistically almost no one succeeds at dieting. You know, the in the book Secrets from the Eating Lab, you know, Tracy Mann talks about the fact that, or Dr. Tracy Mann talks about the fact that you're more likely to recover from most forms of cancer than you would be to diet successfully. And I think when you look at what we do and how we do it and how we break it down and why we look at it as a long-term thing, that that makes all the difference in the world for a lot of people. And, and it, it does change how you view success. You know, so if... If you're a 160-pound female and you think to yourself that, you know, hey, I've got 20 pounds to, to lose, but you're, you know, if you body fat tested and you were 24% body fat, you know, now we're working with some more specifics, right? And then, you know, to me, um, you know, I think most of us could point to the fact that we, we gained and lost 20 pounds a lot, Right. But I don't see a whole lot of people that have lost 10 pounds and, and you know, work to consistently keep it off that, that struggle doing that, right? And then working through phases like that ends up making things 
people a lot more successful. But, you know, the temptation, I get it, you know, the temptation is to pull the Band-Aid off as quickly as possible and and not really figure out the true source of the, the issues that, that you're having. And if you've been doing that for like the last 20 to 30 years, I would argue that we're a pretty good alternative to that. Um, okay, so April and I have to get to coaching calls here real quick. Um, April, do you want to end uh, with, with anything spectacular that's just going to blow people away, or did you just want to say goodbye? I just want to say goodbye and Merry Christmas to everyone. It's fun. Last, last podcast before Christmas and Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas to you as well. Hopefully uh, you enjoy North Carolina and you keep that keep those dogs all wrapped up uh, on those walks so so they're not shivering too much. So, All right, I will talk to you privately and I'll talk to the rest of you guys. I don't know. I don't know when we're doing our next podcast because, yeah, the holidays are going to get in the way. But I think we're still good on Friday. So we'll see you guys Friday. Talk to you later.